So welcome to another episode of Who the Who Zoo in Academic Emergency Management Podcast. My name is Hamza Ajaz. I'm a second year resident at the University of Cincinnati. And today our guest is Dr. Michelle Lin. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lin. Hey, thanks for inviting me. You're my new bestie. It's, it's an incredible honor to have you. I cannot be more excited to have you on our podcast. And I'm looking forward to this next 20, 30 minutes. Looking forward to it. Bring it on. Perfect. So for everyone who is not familiar with Dr. Michelle Lin's work, but Dr. Michelle Lin essentially is a professor at, of emergency medicine at the University of California, San Francisco by night. She's also the founder of the educational organization, Academic Life in Emergency Medicine by day. She's also the author of the book, Tricks of the Trade, Emergency Medicine. Her career is focused on innovation, educational technologies, and digital scholarship. I'll be the first to admit, I've been uh, perusing a lot of your work over the you know, two years of residency as well as all through medical school. So I'm a huge fan, but I think you know, myself, as well as all of our listeners, we're all interested in where did you first become interested in emergency medicine? What drew you to our specialty? Well, thanks so much for having me. This is kind of a full circle moment, right? Because I started my career really, I feel like in SAM. So coming back and looping back, I am so happy to share with you any lessons I've learned along the way. But to answer your question, why emergency medicine? Of course, it's emergency medicine. What kind of question is that? I knew I wanted to be a physician early on. But honestly, and I'm a little ashamed to admit this, the TV show ER, remember that with Anthony Edwards, George Clooney, it's kind of what planted the seed of EM because who doesn't love quick, creative thinking, fast-paced teamwork, making a difference, all of that. And then when I showed up in med school at Stanford, I randomly got involved with this research project that looked at wound infection rates from comparing tap water to sterile saline for wound infection. And spoiler alert, there's no difference. I was that lowly person on the totem pole who called those hundreds and hundreds of patients for follow-up information. I was just sitting in the corner with my phone. But during that time, I also got to hang out with the emergency physicians, nurses, and techs there. They're just so kind, smart, outspoken, dedicated, all qualities that I admired and still admire to this day. So from there, I was hooked, and the rest is history. No, it's absolutely true what you mentioned. You know, emergency medicine, our specialty, I've watched a lot of episodes of uh, the show ER as well. Yes. And it's just absolutely incredible just the fact that we have the opportunity to treat any patient anywhere, any walk of life, and be able to make a difference and make an impact in their life. And the whole rapid, fast pace, uh, you know, specialty that we were working in is absolutely phenomenal where we're treating and diagnosing patients simultaneously, and not just one patient at a time. There's countless patients that you're doing this with uh, over the course of a shift. And it's just overall over the course of a career, I can only imagine uh, just how much of an impact you can potentially make on the lives of a lot of our uh, patients. Yeah, absolutely. I think the creativity aspect of it, I'm learning is really part of my intrinsic DNA. I think whatever career I went into, it had to be creative. And I feel like emergency medicine is the top of that list in healthcare. Yeah. And, and this, you know, now with the pandemic, unfortunately, like we are at the forefront of creativity and finding solutions to so many new problems we've encountered. But I want to touch more about the creativity that you've already you know, alluded to. You're the founder and CEO of Academic Life and Emergency Medicine. How did this idea first come up? Where did this uh, come from? Where did this, where was the inception of this? Oh, you want an origin story. Well, I you wish know I it. had, I wish I had some wonderful epiphanous origin story for you, but I don't. 
And uh, and I actually don't share this story too publicly, but I'm happy to share here because hopefully someone can learn from my mistakes. But it's actually it was kind of born out of a series of of downturns in my career, actually, it was just kind of compounded on each other. And that's where it came from. And so the, the story arc goes that, you know, I was increasingly unhappy and I wasn't sure why over many years of my junior career. And I think it was because I was always been taught that, hey, if I work hard and I accept the opportunities from mentors and do all of the usual things that academics people do, that I just end up with this amazing, fulfilling, successful career. And I realized maybe that's not so much the case because I did the regular thing that was expected, being on national committees, doing lectures for years. I helped build the UCSF residency program, was their associate PD. But over a while, it just chips away at your soul when you have a confluence of really like bad politics, which I am really poor at navigating, by the way, administrative burdens, red tape, constantly hearing, no, we can't do that. Why? We just can't. Uh, you know, the various personalities out there. And, I, and frankly, it was all compounded by the first dog I ever owned, him dying kind of all of a sudden. All of that kind of just stacked up on each other pretty uh, in rapid succession. And so at one point I came to the stark realization that, gosh, I'm really not happy doing this. And you know, it's bad when your parents realize how unhappy you are, right? And they're like, you're not happy. And you know, you can change things, right? You don't have to do these things. I'm like, what? I, I don't? I don't understand. I've, always, I've been on this hamster wheel my whole life. I can change things. So, you know, one day I just sat down and I kind of, you know, the author Marie Kondo, the one about tidying up. And so I Marie Kondoed my academic life. I sat down and wrote down everything I was involved in, had responsibilities for, had titles. And I just went down one by one. I said, hey, are you sparking academic career joy at this point? And if it didn't, I quickly found a way to start extracting myself from that. And I realized I extracted almost everything on my list. You know, I still love working clinically. I still love bedside teaching. And that's really the only two things I did for many months around 2009. I just focused on these two joys in my life. And I did that for several months. It was a huge, huge weight off my shoulders, even though everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy, crazy, crazy doing this for so many years. But you know what? I had fun reading books. I read some entertainment blogs. I binge watched TV. It was glorious. But then I got this itch after several months, you know, all of this emergency physicians are a little bit OCD and neurotic, and I just can't sit still that long. So and I had this itch to get back to teaching, which is my calling. And, you know, this blogs that I mentioned in entertainment, it's mainstream popular, but it was still very much so an unknown in medical education in 2009. And at that time, information dissemination, especially on the online world, it was dominated by publishers and big organizations. But me and my crazy self said, gosh, why can't I put something online if like Justin Bieber can? I I suppose I I can too. So I I launched this personal blog. It was initially called academiclifeandem.blogspot.com. You remember Google's blog platform? Yep. Yeah, so I, ho- I put it up there and I just uploaded random clinical pearls I thought I wanted to teach about, lecture notes uh, from prior talks. And you know what? I just wanted to teach, even if it was to the ether and nobody listened, it was still so satisfying. And, you know, me and my parents, we really enjoyed this blog for many months. But you know what? Organically, it really started to explode pretty quickly. And now, fast forward to over 10 years. 
And this is a team of, of over 30 people working on probably 20 or 30 projects. I've kind of lost track because each person then has their own team they work with. And the blog site is getting about 2 million views a year on the site. So it's, it's been incredibly rewarding to, to be on this journey. Yeah, it's it's quite the behemoth what AOEM has become into. There's so it many different projects. Blows my mind. Blows it's my absolutely mind. incredible. I totally <laughs> agree. You know, you know, honestly, like the splinter. I like so. I know Will Dang from uh, from when I was a medical student. Yes. And he was uh, a user resident at GW, and I've been a huge fan of the Splinter ER series. So I've been really involved in kind of learning about that myself. Um, and you know, I've heard great things about the faculty incubator. Incubator. I know that there's been chief resident incubators in the past as well. So there's just so many different projects that residents, medical students, junior faculty, senior faculty, and it just kind of all seems like it revolves around the whole topic of teaching, which is, you know, which you've, you know, been clearly evident on as your personal calling. But what advice would you have for those individuals who are coming up with, you know, they've identified that their calling is teaching as you, you know, or education, or if it's social media, or if it's digital scholarship, or if it's ultrasound, like, what advice would you have for those individuals who are trying to implement a new idea and like, how can they go about navigating it when they're meeting difficulty? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would not try to compare yourself to anyone else because, you know, back in 2009, it was open fields to, to really make a big splash with minimal effort. And now in such a, a noisy digital world out there where it's, 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 we're in an era where I feel like it's a trust economy where there's just so much noise out there. No one knows who to trust, so they don't know who to listen to. So then how do you get your idea noticed? And so, you know, what I would advise is just start incremental. And that's a matter of kind of, it has a bad meaning to this, a connotation to this, but like, it really is about building your brand so that you become a signal or a beacon that that people will take notice of you, right? You know that Steve Martin quote, be so good that people can't ignore you, kind of along that line. And so, but start small. So let's say you're trying to implement a new idea. This is all the topics revolving around change management. How do you change a status quo with your new idea? Well, uh, I would start small. So first of all, build a Twitter presence. As much as I hate all the negatives about Twitter, it really is a way for you to communicate and have your message be amplified with minimal effort. But it takes a while to craft that Twitter account and Twitter brand. So you got to be consistent in it. Let's say you do ultrasound. Really only focus on ultrasound tweets, sharing high yield ultrasound articles. You know, don't talk about so much what you had for dinner and getting your message mixed up because then people will unfollow you. Really start building a core group of people who are your, who's your network, who's your peeps. And then from there, there's so many blogs out there that are taking guest uh, blog posts, including Alium, but, uh, you know, Rebel EM, I think EM Docs, just shop around. People are always super happy to work with you. Maybe do one blog post about ultrasound that's not been out there yet. That would be wonderful. No topic is too narrow. So there's just still an infinite world of topics that are, have not been published yet. And then once you go from there, you know, the connections you build from there will grow organically. Yeah, I, I will totally admit that this is something that I struggle with when you mentioned the Twitter presence. Since something that I'm working on during residency is that, hey, I'm interested in academics. I'm trying to identify the niche that I'm going to be involved in for the course of my career. And how do I go about making a high yield impact on Twitter to kind of build that, start building that brand as you, you know, allude to? 
And it's difficult because during residency and different months, you're like right now I'm on a trauma surgery rotation and it's a, uh, it's an exhausting month. So you got lots time. of free time. Super. Plenty of free time. Of free time. Exactly. I'm not post-call <laughs> on this app uh, during this interview right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Well, I would not be daunted by the Twitter presence because, you know, a lot of people, the traditional teaching is, you know, be on there every day, post every day at the same time. You don't need that unless you're a big, big organization. If you are creating your own brand to start, hey, post when you want. This is your own space. You got to grow it gradually. And, you know, if, if you just post every day, but, you know, three quarters of it isn't really relevant or helpful, people are going to notice that. Just post high quality stuff. And sometimes when you post rarely, when you do post, people are like, oh, this must be something really good. So take your time. There is no no rush for it. That's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then this kind of transitions to the next topic as well is, you know, there's a network that you can build over Twitter or through your residency. And ALEM has various different networks within the umbrella of the overall organization, but how do you feel that this organization has helped in establishing that work outside of your immediate circle of your residency or your department? Oh, networking. You said the N word. I am a self-proclaimed impatient introvert. Uh, and that's why blogging has really spoken to me. I can get stuff out immediately and I don't have to show my face anywhere or get dressed up. So, you know, I can work behind the scenes and blogging was great for me. But the general advice is that networking is the thing to do. And I, and I agree with that. You got to broaden your network over time so that if you need help with some or you want to pivot your career, you can take advantage of the people you have built some trust with. But it's an extremely awkward thing for me. And what I realized is that with Alium, as I grow my team, I kind of inherit their networks in a way. Uh, we're not that big a group, but their groups are also not that big. And so when I need to reach out for help or a resource, I then reach out to them. I don't really do much more beyond that, as well as creating being the brand or bringing the, the beacon, like I mentioned before. If you are reliable, you complete your projects on time, you produce high quality work, I guarantee you people will notice and they're going to find you, but you got to make sure you're findable. So that's whether you're on Twitter, you run a blog, make sure you're somehow findable on some external site. So networking, I feel like is both increasing your signal and just delivering great work so people can find you. Those, those are helpful, very helpful nuggets of information. So really thank you for that. Transitioning a little bit more now. So you've had a very fulfilling and rewarding career up to this point, but what are some of the highlights that you kind of reflect on? What are your most proudest uh, academic accomplishments? Yeah, that is a tough question. There's so many things I am so grateful for throughout my career. And let me just maybe narrow it down to, to two. And one is, like you mentioned, the book Tricks of the Trade. My parents always thought this alien organizational thing was a nice little side hobby, but it wasn't until I became a book author of Tricks of the Trade, they're like, what? No way. This is amazing. You're now successful. And so I'm really kind of proud of this four-year endeavor we put into writing the book. And not only that, we actually, as in meta form, it was a trick of the trade because we learned how to self-publish this book and market it on our own, you know, created, we uh, hired a graphic designer, a copy editor, we found a way to upload it. And then because we have built our own brand, we can then just blast out all the information via Twitter, Instagram, and our blog. So we didn't really need to rely on any 
middle person to get our information out. So that's kind of one thing that I, I was proud that we, we got through. But the other thing is something less tangible because I don't think I've seen anyone really reproduce this, which is the ability for the Alien organization to build this really diverse team of talented individuals. They are like the secret sauce in my life. I don't know how I found them or how they're all on the team, but they live everywhere around the world. They're geographically distanced. But not only that, you know, some people have pods of work groups that are geographically spread apart, but they're roughly the same level. Let's say they're all kind of middle range faculty members in emergency medicine. But no, but what we have are our team consists of anywhere from college freshmen at Stanford all the way to people who are or have been deans of medical schools or leaders of health profession systems. And this really potpourri uh, melting pot of, of individuals have built on each other that it's been a really happy, rewarding group to be a part of, especially during the COVID uh, pandemic where people have been, this is kind of our, our second family on our Slack account. It's been kind of crazy. I totally agree. The fact that there's so many different, you know, when I look at the different projects that you guys are all involved with, there's so many different aspects and so many different diverse members who are spearheading each of those individual projects. And I think, and this is becoming more and more evident that through diversity, we just have so much of a better exposure and so much of a better finished product. And I commend you guys, honestly, for kind of, you know, spearheading that uh, initiative. It's interesting, the fact that You've taken this digital scholarship through the whole Alien blog, as well as the different projects that that's currently spearheading, but then also making it into a physical product with this, which was both, you know, an electronic copy of the book, as well as a physical copy. So it's it's a little bit of both digital scholarship, as well as, I guess, physical scholarship, if that's a thing per se. Yeah, absolutely. I think that people are, it's a pendulum, right? Because I think there are now so many people in the digital scholarship world, we like to kind of play in this sandbox of innovation. Have you heard of this thing called Blue Oceans and Red Oceans? It's a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. It's a business book. But the idea is always trying to get away from the red ocean where it's bloody and just people are feeding on each other and on limited resources. Why not find some blue ocean where you're in your own lane? And that's why I feel like uh, book publishing and maybe even self-print publishing is the way it's kind of an uncharted territory in medical education. And that's what we're trying to pioneer and experiment in this uh, domain. Yeah, it's definitely something when, when the book first came out, I was like, I was very taken back. I did, it was like, this is not something that I'm really, you know, familiar with in the world of blogging and FOMED. And then seeing like a self-published book was a quite a spectacle, honestly. It's, it's pretty impressive. So I commend you guys on that. It was so much fun. But so you've accomplished so much already. You've have a book now. You have an incredibly successful and diverse team of uh, members within your organization. But what's next for you? What's the next most heavily pro uh, involved project that you're working on right now with Alien? Well, I am fortunate enough to have people on the team who take complete ownership of their uh, projects, and I don't really uh, need to get micromanaging and into their projects. So like you mentioned the faculty incubator, we have the, the medical student newsletter, they're all running great. But what I am kind of most heavily thinking about right now in the past couple of months is this idea of how do I become a better, and I don't know if this is a term out there, but how do I become a better data poet? I want to be the next Amanda Gorman in data analytics. How do you tell a story 
using data, because now there's just so much data out there, you don't even know how to put it together, but how do you use the right pieces of data to tell a story to change the status quo? And I came upon this free Google platform called Data Studio, and it creates amazing data graphics for you, Import where you're able to import Google Analytics or a, a Google Sheets, all sorts of imports you can do to create beautiful um, graphics, infographics to tell your story. So I'm trying to teach myself a lot more about Data Studio and learning to be a better data poet to change culture and change behavior. Interesting. Yeah, I have definitely, I'll be the first to admit, I've not heard of that particular term data poet, but the way you describe it so eloquently, it would be something to, I will have to look into that and see exactly what that entails. But I agree, it's a it's an interesting little realm that we don't talk about too much, especially now where there's so much blasting of data, essentially, and how do you go about filtering through that in an eloquent manner where you're able to synthesize it and hopefully have an impact on the data itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And can I share with you something that I'm working more a little bit outside of Alium, which is it's been about over a year now, but I have this fascination of doodling very poorly on post-it notes. And so I thought about, huh, I wonder how I can incorporate it into my work life. And, and so now for over the past year now on shift, when there's time, I will doodle a post-it pearl of something semi-related to a case. And then I, I stick it on the, the wall of the ED. And it, it serves as an interesting post I'm realizing that not only the person involved with the case learns about, but really everyone on shift learns about. And then I go one step further. I go, well, this is relevant to other people outside of my hospital. So I started putting them on Instagram. And so I slowly, slowly built a small following, but it's a fun project I'm involved with that if anyone else is interested in doodling badly with me, I use the hashtag post-it pearls, doodle on a post-it note and share it. And I'll be sure to see it because I follow that hashtag. But I love doodling and teaching at the same time. Brings my two, it's my left and my right brain working together. You know, you mentioned that. I'm going to have to take a look at into it now. I want to follow up on these uh, doodles that you've been working on. But I, the, the, the post-it pearls is a great idea. I always have to follow up on your, uh, the doodling quality itself, you know? It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I just want to warn you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to looking at it. No worries. <laughs> so I think we're about near the end of our, a lot of time here, but kind of as a parting words or words of wisdom, any take-home lessons for residents who are just on the verge of graduating at this point, what advice or lessons would you offer to them? Yeah. What a, a great question, because in a way, there are so many regrets I have in my career. I wish I could have done so much earlier for those of you listening kind of early in your, your medical career. And I probably leave it with two overarching ones. And the first one is, you know, I've never been a fan of reading nonfiction books, but I would 100% advocate that you start thinking about reading more because if you're looking to be beyond just a clinician physician and you want to be a physician leader, I recommend start reading. And there's this great Harry Truman quote that says, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. So get started now. I am so far behind that I'm trying to double time it every year. I, I read about 20 books a year that usually are in the, the business and, and psychology realm. And all the mistakes in the world have been made. So why not learn from them rather than, rather than make them yourself? And then the second pearl I have 
is uh, kind of reflective of how I abruptly pivoted my career in 2009 towards a, a more blogging digital innovation career. And that is uh, pay attention to what you pay attention to. And by doing so, you can make smaller course corrections rather than ripping the Band-Aid off like I did. You can make smaller course corrections in your career. And periodically, Marie Kondo, the things that you're working on, you're responsible for. And for me now, personally, the way I do this is, you know, I have a, a cool Moleskine analog. You write with a pen journaling approach. You do this every couple of days and just spew your random thoughts feelings, ideas down. And and you'll be surprised that you can find patterns and trends that you didn't see before and you can address them early. So my advice is pay attention to what you pay attention to and uh, be intentional in your career path. Thank you. Thank you. That's a really powerful quote. Uh, So I I will, I definitely agree. I definitely have been trying to work on that myself. And I, for all the listeners, I could not agree more. Please try to read more, no matter what you read try to diversify uh, the nonfiction that you're involved in reading and go from there essentially. But it's a great, great quote. You know, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. That's really powerful. But that just about wraps up our interview, Dr. Lin. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And for everyone who's been listening, thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for all that you do. And until next time, you all take care. Mm -hmm.